today on Abounding Grace. There really is no excuse for us not to surrender our life to Jesus Christ today. There's no reason for us not to surrender our excuse making or our justification, our blaming everything on our spouse or on our boss or on whatever it might be. I don't have enough or I'm over here and I don't think we're so good and we get so good at making excuses and justifying our behavior. But then it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And so those people in your life, too, that you're praying about repentance, try being good to them. And they go, how long do I need to be good to them? As long as God's good to you. How's that? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Maybe you've noticed, we're pretty good at making excuses to justify our bad behavior, but we're all too quick to come down hard on others who do the very same thing. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that while many have their excuses for not surrendering to Jesus Christ, none of them are good excuses. Pastor Ed Taylor has titled his message, Inexcusable, and it's framed around Romans 2, verses 1 through 10. Do you know that we all have blind spots? How many times have you avoided an accident in your car by simply looking over your shoulder before you change lanes? Do you remember? I remember being in high school, and I thought that was the dumbest thing. Look over, I got mirrors, you know? What's up with that? I, what do I need to look over my shoulder for? I got all these mirrors, and we've got all these little tricks with the mirrors, right? We look over here to get over there, and we look around. When they taught us to look over our shoulders, I can't tell you how many accidents just this weekend Looking over my shoulder saved me from pushing a guy off the road. Even if he deserved to go off the road, <laughs> he didn't. I was just wanting to change lanes. I was kind of going fast. A guy in front of me was going slow. I want to get around. You know, I'm, not, I'm not breaking any laws, but I make that noise. When you're driving a minivan, you got to make those noises. And I looked over my shoulder, why? Because that car was where? In my blind spot. As Christians, we all have spiritual blind spots and we need to learn to look over our shoulders. Sometimes the look over our shoulder is actually God sending someone into our lives. So I've seen something in your life that maybe you don't see. And I always know I'm in for a tough time when I'm involved in this and I'm sharing, hey, I see this in your life. And the first response from someone is, don't you judge me. Like, oh, this is going to be a big one. This is going to be a heavy one right now. I'm not trying to judge you. I just want what's best for you. I don't want to lord it over you. I'm just going to share my heart. And whatever you do with it is up to you. But see, when you start sharing, oh, you don't judge me, just you're not in a good place. They might be judging you, but they could still be right. Why would we dismiss it? Why aren't we open? So the Holy Spirit sending someone, I mean, was David, you think David was super happy that Nathan came? I think after the fact he was. What would have happened if David never had a Nathan? What if Nathan, he didn't listen to him. Maybe he cut Nathan's head off. He could have, but he loved Nathan. And Nathan had something difficult. We're all blinded. And because we're all blinded, we can deny that we're guilty. Number four, we, we easily quick, quick and easily forget 
our wrongs. We quickly and easily forget our wrongs. We may have been aware of sin in our life at one point, but because of the hassles of every day and all the things that are going on in our lives, we quickly assume that, well, we're Christians, we live a Christian life, so God's not going to hold me accountable. I can live with whatever way I want. It's not true. You will be held accountable. I will be held accountable for all that I do or say. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about us being held accountable for even our thoughts. You think about that. You know, you might be here today and say, I don't cuss anymore. You might not cuss in your mouth, but I guarantee you there's probably some words flowing around in your head. (laughs) Why? Because it's still a part of you. You need the Holy Spirit to wash your mind. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if, you know, know, I grew up in a home where I get my mouth washed out from time to time. But what I really needed was my heart to be washed out. I mean, it didn't make me anything but, you know, eating soap all day. So just mom, just mom just sat me down and said, here, take it and eat it, you know. No, she didn't do that. (laughs) We need our minds washed. We need our lives washed. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount spoke to us about its being a heart issue. And that's what Paul's saying here. Remember verse 1, you are inexcusable. None of us here will be able to excuse our behavior before God. You see, he says in verse 6 that we'll have rendered to us each according to our deeds. They came to Jesus one day and they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? Remember his answer? His answer was believe on him whom he sent. So by belief, your life now flows with wonderful, great, and awesome good works from the Lord. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. We don't work to attain something from God. We work because he's given us all things. We've been saved for good works. Flip over to Ephesians. We haven't turned much today. Ephesians chapter 2, a few pages to the right. Ephesians chapter 2, listen. What must we do to work? do the works of God? Believe on him whom he sent. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Our salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works, and that's a good time to pause here and be reminded of that. In verse 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What do you do with gifts but receive them? You take them. You know, it's hard for us sometimes to receive gifts, isn't it? And God, he's given us the greatest gift. Some of you are here today, and you need to receive the gift of salvation. That God, he extends to you a gift. Don't I have to work for it? No. Don't I have to do something for it? No. Believe on him whom he sent. And this gift of salvation will become yours. You'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit, sealed and set apart for good works. But you have to come. See, that's the area of pride that holds man back. I don't want to come. I'm good. But Paul says to those that say, I'm good. Hey, listen, if you want to relate to God, when is good good enough? If you want to relate to God by the law, how much of the law do you need to keep? All of it. If you want to relate to God by good works, what must come out of your life all the time? All good works. But we know in reality, none of us live that way. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, back in Ephesians, verse 9 says, It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in good works. Back to Romans. Look at chapter 3 now. Paul's moving from the pagan to the moralist, to the religious person. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to say, I go to church. It's not enough to say, I give to God. It's not enough to say, I do good works in God's name. Salvation doesn't come by good works. If you want to live by works, then you have to do it perfectly. See, look at verse 10, chapter 3. As it is written, 
There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have all be together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Is Paul making a point or what? None of us are good enough. None of us. You know, every religion on the planet Earth today encourages you to live toward God by works. Every man-made religion today says you're not doing enough. You've got to do more. That's the answer to the problems in here. Do more. You've got to give more. You've, you've got to be more. You've got to read more. You've got to pray more. And, and it's, you got to, you got to, you got to. But Jesus Christ, he flips everything around and he says, it's not that you got to, it's that you get to. You get to relate to God now. You get to come to a Bible study like this and say, oh, God's speaking to my heart. I'm so thankful that the God of all the universe isn't so busy out there making sure earth is in the right place, but that he cares about me, that he takes interest in me, that even in the things that are going on in your life right now, he takes interest in you and what you're feeling and what you're going through. Because it's such a hopeless situation, God intervened by sending his only begotten son. He entered into our lives Jesus, he comes into this world and God punished him for the wrong things that we did. We wonder who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the religious rulers? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Let me answer it for you. We did. It was our sins. It was our faults and our failures that nailed Jesus to the cross. And on him, on him, the judgment of God came. The wages of sin is death and Jesus Christ took that death. Not only did he live and die, but he rose again the third day to prove everything that he said. If you refuse to trust in Jesus Christ, then you know what happens? Your heart gets harder. It doesn't get softer. Each time the gospel is given and each time you refuse, it's not going to be easier next time. You go, well, maybe next week. Maybe I'll, I'll think about it this week and, and I'll come back next Sunday, Pastor Ed. And when you give the opportunity next week, that's when. But you don't understand something's going on behind the scenes spiritually. Every time you reject God, your heart gets harder. Your heart gets just darker. That's what it says here. Notice in verse 5, it says, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says that your heart gets harder. It's unrepentant. And as a result, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. There's two people, two types of people in this room right now, two types of people that would be listening. Of course, first one is those of you that have no relationship to God whatsoever. This is the direct application from this passage to you. If you leave this place again, hardening yourself against God, it's only going to become more difficult for you to soften your heart and repent. That you're actually treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and judgment. And that you're willing to walk out of here today saying, I'll take my chances with God. I don't believe you, Pastor Ed. I don't believe what the Bible says. I'll just take my chances. Do you know we pray specifically for those of you that might even be thinking that way? We don't want you to take your chances. We want you to respond to the goodness of God. We want you to respond to the offer of salvation that he provides to you. And so in just a few moments, if that's you, you have an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ today, to respond to the work of God's Holy Spirit in your heart. But far more, many of you are believers here, and you wonder, well, what's the application for me? Well, let me just say at the outset that believers can harden their hearts too. And although you're not treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath because you're secure in your salvation in Jesus Christ, you are treasuring up consequences in your life. 
Christians cannot avoid consequences of sin. That's another reason why we're so quick to make excuses because we think, well, I'm a Christian now. Jesus is taking all the judgment. I can get away with it. You can't. If you sow to the flesh, we learned last week, you will reap what? Corruption. Just learn that quickly. Your life will become barren. Your spiritual life, you won't see much fruit in your life. And the fruit that you do see is in spite of you, not because of you. Just so that God reminds you that he's still in your life. That you want to come to a place where your heart is soft. And the two destinies of man are very clear. Indignation, wrath, and tribulation and anguish. That's a warning to everyone here apart from Jesus. Or glory and honor and peace for all those that are in Jesus Christ. Not only then, but now. Now, as we close, if you were reading through, some of you might be wondering, Pastor Ed, what about verse 4? You skipped verse 4. I saw you read verse 3 and you didn't read verse 5 and you've just been, you've been wanting to get up and say, hey, what about verse 4? I want to end with verse 4 because I love verse 4. Listen, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Isn't that so cool? God doesn't lay some heavy guilt trip on you. So you should be doing this. And you should be doing that. How could you? Why would you? He just says, look, I'm so good to you. I love you. Do you know what happens in our lives? We could be living life, enjoying the presence of the Lord, enjoying his goodness, and then one little trial comes in our life, and we forget about God's goodness. We actually turn on God at times. He says, how could you, God? And we forget all about his goodness, all about his long-suffering, all about his forbearance. Listen, the word forbearance, next to it you can write the words or write the definition, temporary suspension of wrath. So he's saying, look, I'm forbearing with you. Although you deserve wrath today, I'll remove it. The next to the word where it says in verse 4, goodness, literally that means to be utterly holy, righteous, and good. Forbearance and long-suffering. That speaks of God's self-restraint. Peter said that don't you know that the patience of God is for salvation? Long-suffering. Long-suffering, the best way to remember the definition for that is just to read it as it says. Long-suffering. Can it be long something else? No. Long-suffering. So how long do I need to suffer? Perhaps in the, in the Lord it's a long suffering, that it's a patience. These are all tools to lead you and to lead me to repentance, his goodness. In case you missed the psalm reading, flip back to Psalm 86. I want to just point some things out to you of how often the psalms that we read tie in directly with the message that is shared here. Psalm 86. I love verse 4. The pathway to repentance is God's goodness. It's not manipulation of you through guilt. It's not trying to get you to the place where you feel this big burden on you. Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you what? Some heavy big burden? No, rest. So when you and I come to the conclusion, apart from the trial, apart from the situation, apart from the pain, that our God, he's still good, that our God is still full of mercy and compassion, our God, he's ready to forgive you right now. You don't have to leave here in unrepentance. He's ready to forgive. Look, Psalm 86. We'll pick up in verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I'll call upon you and you will answer. Verse 8. Among the gods, there's none like you, nor are there any works like your works. Verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. 
You alone are God. Verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your mercy toward me. You just might want to remember that. Great is your mercy toward me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me and give your strength to your servant and even the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good. Let me just say he's already shown that sign. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the sign for good. That those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Flip over to Psalm 73 now since you're there. Just a few pages back. Psalm 73. Because sometimes we are like this. We are like the psalmist. We're like Asaph here where we see things going on in people's lives. We see things going on in our lives and we wonder, why, God? Why me? Where's your goodness, God? Where's your compassion? I don't see it right now. I don't feel it right now. I don't understand it. And it says in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as in pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes down all the way to describe all the things that he sees. Why is he getting all these things? He doesn't even love you, God. And why does she seem to be getting away with this? They don't even care for you, God. And his feet almost stumbled. He was almost ready to pack it in. He was almost ready to be done until verse 17. Really, verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. God is truly good, and it's easy for us to despise his goodness. Again, just to put some meat to that, let me give you a few things that I've seen over the years of how we can despise God's goodness. Number one, we can despise God's goodness as it's shown to other people. They're like, how can you show him any good, God? That's not right. You ever feel that way? This isn't right. I mean, from what I see in this guy's life, God, it's not goodness that he needs. He, he needs some heaviness, Lord. He, he, he needs a heavy hand. He, he needs to just take him out. Take him out. I don't want him in here anymore. Get rid of him. He needs some heaviness. And our hearts become covetous and jealous like the psalmist when we see others blessed. And we start despising that God would be good to them. You can't be good to them. Really? He can't be good to them? Wasn't he good to you? When you were in rank, rebellious sin, wasn't he good to you? Didn't he reach out his arm to you and say, come on, son, come on, daughter, getting you out of the quicksand of sin. And you're like, yes, you came to rescue me, but don't rescue him. What happened? What happened? You began to despise his goodness. You despised it because it was happening in someone else's life. Be careful. Number two, we can despise God's goodness when we take advantage of it. Oh, I live as a Christian. I've got all freedom. I can just live however I want. But no, God is good to you. You can't just live however you want. You need to live however God wants now. It's a whole different way. You, your home now becomes God's home. It's not yours. Your life becomes God's life. It's not your business. It becomes God's business. Everything about you belongs to God. We can despise it when God's goodness is taken advantage of. This is where we think that God is asleep or just winks at our sin. He's out busting everyone else of their sin, but he winks at ours. And when judgment doesn't come swiftly, our hearts continue on the road to rebellion. Listen to this. You can jot it down. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. God's goodness leads to repentance. 
Another one, number three, is we can despise God's goodness when it's extended to others. This speaks to salvation happening maybe at a later time in someone's life where we've been saved all of our life and it's been one trial, one difficulty, and here's a guy, here's a guy that's lived her whole life fighting against God and the last two weeks of her life, she gets saved. You're like, hey, wait a minute. What's up with that? Well, you're despising God's goodness because it all depends on who you're looking at. You might have someone in your life that is in an older age that you desperately want to get saved. You want to see them get saved. You want to see them surrender. And if to them you say, show goodness, Lord, show goodness. But to someone else, we might say, you can't show goodness to them. And we put ourselves on the throne and take God off. And we need to be careful. God's love and grace goes out even to the most hardened sinner. The long suffering of God is for salvation. And then a fourth thing I see is that we can despise God's goodness when it's ignored. Where we think all the good things that are happening in our lives is because of our good wisdom and our hard work ethic and I'm a good person so I deserve good. No, everything that you have, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Everything. The simplicity of things. My son was talking to me the other day about our house. And we were talking the difference between renting and owning a house. I said, I own my house. He said, no, you don't. Who are you talking to, kid? No, no, I'm just kidding. He says, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. And I start explaining as a dad, well, okay, the mortgage company owns. We, me and the mortgage company own these. No, you don't. What? What do you want? You want to wrestle? You want to fight? Just to get on, you know? And he just said something very simply. He says, no, it belongs to God. He lets you use it, but it belongs to him. And then he said, you know, even if God gives me a penny, dad, it belongs to him. I'm like, wow, your mom has done a good job with you. <laughs> we can ignore God's goodness. We can think it's all because of us. We can think that it's all because of all what we've done and how smart we are and all of our education. And you are where you are and you have what you have by the grace of God. Don't despise God's goodness. Even if God sends someone into your life, even if he sends four people with the same exact issue, maybe it's the people you've been arguing with. Maybe it's the people you have tension with. Maybe it's the people you're so quick to judge and your finger goes out and says, look at there. And then God says very softly in your heart, you are that man. It's you that I want to change. It's you that I want to see. It's you that I want committed to me. And so how does chapter 2 open? Well, it opens with us being inexcusable. There really is no excuse for us not to surrender our life to Jesus Christ today. There's no reason for us not to surrender our excuse-making or our justification, our blaming everything on our spouse or on our boss or on whatever it might be. I don't have enough or I'm over here and I don't think... We, we're so good and we get so good at making excuses and justifying our behavior. But then it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And so those people in your life too that you're praying about repentance, try being good to them. And they go, well, how long do I need to be good to them? As long as God's good to you. How's that? When God stops being good to you, then I guess we're off the hook about being good. So we're never really off the hook, are we? Love and grace and mercy melt a heart. And we can pray for goodness to come into the lives of those that we love so that they might repent. And then we can open our eyes to the things that God's doing in our life. Well, we've been in the book of Romans today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. 
To hear today's study again, just visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Not long ago, we put this together with you in mind. And there you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, our recent radio programs, a place to contact us, and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. Once again, that's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is to download our free app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora and listen to Pastor Ed when it's most convenient. This month, we picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It would even make for a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request the case for Christmas, please call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can make a secure donation to the ministry online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Romans. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.